Hello, sports fans. This is Jeremy Taché, and this is Miami Miked Up, presented by Cold Blue Vodka. If you haven't tried Cold Blue yet, head over to your nearest Total Wine or select Sam's Club's locations to pick up an ice sculpture bottle. It's the perfect refreshing drink to enjoy on its own or in your favorite cocktails, mojitos, Bloody Marys, martinis, Moscow mules, and more. Cold Blue Vodka is gluten-free, crafted from American-sourced corn, and distilled eight times. Easy to sip on, enjoyable, and the best part, no hangover the next day. I repeat, no hangover the next day. Our friends over at Cold Blue Vodka gave us a promo code for our listeners. Head over to coldbluevodka.com and use the code BALLY20 for 20% off. That's one word, B-A-L-L-Y-2-0, for 20% off your online order. Cold Blue Vodka, redefining the blue-collar lifestyle. Now, let's get to the show. And on the 20th episode of Miami Miked Up, I'm very pleased to welcome in someone who I already consider to be a friend of the pod and just a friend in general. It's Will Manso, the sports director and lead sports anchor at WPLG Local 10 and the jack of all trades here with Bally Sports as a host, a reporter, doing a whole bunch of different things during our heat broadcasts this season. Will, it is a pleasure to have you on the show. It's good to be here, number twenty. I'll be, I'll be lucky, number twenty. I like that. And, and you're the jack of all trades, man. You can't label me your your title. That's, I think that's actually on your business card when you walk into the studios. It's Jeremy Taché, jack of all trades. Oh man, I wait. I gosh, I would love that title. That's that's something I've been yearning for forever, in in every sense of it. But all right, the first question for you, Will. What is something outside the workplace that has brought you joy recently? I mean, it's always my kids. You know, like that kid. It's as you your kids get older and work gets busier which you know how it is it does mm-hmm. uh the joy is your kids by being able to find time and hang with them like even today before we taped i took them out to the pool and we hung out and it was a beautiful day i mean we're so lucky it's 80 degrees in in november you know it's it's nuts uh so yeah my kids always it's the easy answer because they make me laugh and they take on their own little personality but you see so much of you in them mm-hmm. and they annoy you and drive you crazy but at the same time they it's so much fun so Anytime I need a break from work, which is always, but when I get it, it's, it's, it's kid time. That's fun. Yeah. I, uh, I obviously do not have kids quite yet. I have my cat, love my cat, love getting to I spend love my time cat with him. <laughs> yeah. I appreciate that about you. You're a cat guy too. Yes. So that's, that's okay. Big time cat guy. It, it has happened over the last year of actually living with my cat now, living with my fiance now. I guess that's the first part of it. Uh, as, oh, so as she's a cat, cat lover. She's a cat lover got the cat before we moved in together, but it was a mutual decision. Like we knew it was, you know, inevitable, that type of thing. And now that I've lived with the cat for a year, I am a full on cat person. And, you know, I don't know. I don't know if I'll ever go back, which I, I think may be maybe the hottest take that I've ever put out there before is that I'm a cat. Hey, but person. Doesn't I'm, make I'm a you, lukewarm was, take guy. Doesn't make you anti dog. No, you know, not at like, all. Not at I all. I love dogs. Yes. Do- dogs are just an added. It's well, let's face it. Dogs are a really bigger responsibility. So Much I was thinking, well, I love dogs. Other people's dogs. I love to pet them. I love to see them. And then that they they're gone. It's how I feel about being an uncle currently. It's like I love being an uncle. I can check in on your kids, hang out with your kids, get all the fun of the kids. But it's not my responsibility at the end of the day. I'm cool with the cat responsibility. That's where we're at this stage of life. Nonetheless, <laughs> that's that's where we start this episode. And uh, will I, I will say that uh, something that's really cool about you and something I've admired for a while is you're a Miami guy through and through. You may not have been born here in Miami, but being raised here in Miami, you're Cuban-American. That's a relation to Miami. You went to the University of Miami. 
So what is it that you find, number one, an emotional connection with this city when covering these teams? But number two, what is it that you find unique about covering sports here in South Florida? I mean, look, we're a passionate front-running town, and, and that's okay. It, it's it, it, like it, people make fun of us for that. I'm like, I mean, it's not like we don't admit it. We know mm -hmm. it. We're irrational. And, you know, when I moved here as a kid, I moved here in 1985. I was 10 years old to South Florida. So that's like peak really becoming a diehard sports fan, right? Because mm -hmm. when you're like six, seven, it's like all oh, cool, but you don't really understand it. You know what I mean? The history. When you start getting to 10, 11, 12, you start understanding the history of whatever team you follow. So mm -hmm. when I got here, it was you're talking about the peak of Marino years, you know, the Marx brothers and Don Shula, and just you're talking the mid eighties when that was becoming the thing. And then a few years later, the heat got here, the Panthers got here, the Marlins got here. So I got to, as a teenager, enjoy all that stuff. So that's where my fandom kind of grew. And as much as I kept some of what I grew up in New Jersey, you know, till I was 10, I kept my Giants love. I still love the Yankees. Right. South Florida to me is like that, that beauty of, I like the youth of it. Some cities have like the history and you can say, oh, my dad grew up watching this team, you know, in the fifties. Well, we don't mm -hmm. have that, you know, like it's, we have most, even if your, your dad watched, he watched as an adult growing right. up to watch the Marlins and, right, and right. You know, he, he didn't grow up as a, as a little kid at three years old with a, with a Marlins hat on. We're the ones and you're younger than I am. You're the ones, the next generation of the ones that we tell those stories. So it's a fun exciting front-running city but it's a new city so mm -hmm. it's kind of like we take it in as our own and i love that it's like we don't have to sit there and go 1927 <laughs> i remember those marlins no like we think of 1993 starting and 97 winning and those things i literally was the kid walking around at three years old literally yes. three years old with the 97 world series hat on because i was three and 98 and and covering you know now covering these teams i can relate to what it is that you're talking about of, of knowing the personality of the fan base and, you know, it's funny when you hearken back through the history, it reminds me, actually, I'm also now a UCF alum, a UCF football fan. That's sort of what we're talking about in a similar respect of, hey, it's a young program. It's creating the history now. And there's something so fun about that to get to be a You're part the of the fan base that yeah. builds that history as opposed to, like you mentioned, you know, the Yankee fans talking about 27 championships, but it's it's one right. this century. You know, it's yes. it's it's when you when you really think about it in, in its furthest extent. So getting to be a part of these these young franchises is fun. And, you know, th that has to be an interesting evolution for you as a sports anchor here, because you started here very early in your career. You were only elsewhere for a couple of years. And I am actually going to ask you questions about that in a minute. But being, you know, the young guy, the new kid on the block coming here. And now you've, you've been here for a number of years. And the guys who were established ahead of you, well, they've all started to retire and we've had some new sort of young blood come in, whether it's, you know, Ruthie at Channel 6, Josh at Channel 7, replacing, you know, Steve Shapiro, who's retired now. How has that been for you starting as probably the youngest guy in this market and watching it grow through the years and growing with those teams? Well, my hair's grayer, that's for sure. I definitely have, a, <laughs> that's not just the lighting. I definitely have some gray hair. Hey, it looks sure. good. I, I like yeah. it. I like it. Thank you. It looks good to say your age, you wouldn't look good, but once you get to your late <laughs> 40s, you know, it's a, no, but I mean, to me, I always say, like, I was so lucky. I was 23 when I started, and I've been here 23 mm. years. So do the math. I'm 46. So when I, it's basically half my life. I mean, it's not basically, wow. it is half my life. I've been in this market 
And when I got here, I got to work under, you know, Jimmy Cephalo and Frank Fort, who to me were just mentors. I grew up in West Palm Beach and then Miami, like you said, I went to UM. So I watched those stations in West Palm Beach. We would get Channel 10. So I grew up watching Ann Bishop and Dwight Lauderdale, you know, for hmm. people that are from South Florida, you know, those names. And right. Jimmy, to get to work with Jimmy and Frank and Jim Mandich and Hank Goldberg and these, I mean, these legendary names in South Florida television. And, you know, I interned at WSVN where I know that, is, you know, you started your career in this business. Yep. And I had so many great people I met there. Ken Rodriguez, who a lot of people may not remember. Ken was a, an anchor in those years. That was a mentor to me as well. But when you look at the growth of Jim Barry and Joe Rose and these names that go through the years, to be a part of that and to grow with that is pretty cool because now I mm -hmm. do see these young people come in. And it's like, it's almost, it is like a fraternity, you know, and, and you'll always in every business going to have people that are difficult, right? But it's weird because in this business, people in this town get along with you. Like when I, I got nothing but encouragement when I would talk to Tony Segreto and Joe Rose and those names of those days, I didn't get jealousy. Like, oh, look at this new kid who wants to take my job or be cool or something. No. So it's the same thing now. Like you just talk to people, you get to know each other. And in 15, 20 years, those are going to be the people when you're leaving or you're gone that are going to be there for 20 years. So it's fun to be a part of that, especially like you said, a place I grew up in. I know these names. This isn't like I had to learn who Jimmy Cephalo was or who Joe Rose was. Right. I knew who they were. I watched them. I, they became my friends, but they were people I looked up to. You know, it, it's, it's so funny you say that because obviously I'm, I'm having a similar experience in the moment right now where I've so appreciated people like you being unbelievably gracious and willing to like teach and, and mentor in ways and also just have conversations. Right. But I knew who you were. I've watched your, you know, your reports for years and same with working with Steve Shapiro and Donovan Campbell and Mike DiPasquale at WSVN. Like these are people I grew up watching. And so to learn from them and now to be doing any of this on my own, it's like, it okay, cool. it, it feels cool. cool right? Number one, that, that definitely is the first part. But number two, it's like, it's, it's so wonderful to, to have everyone be as kind as you've mentioned. Like, I feel like we are very lucky in this market where it's a combination of there's just happened to have been a lot of good people who have been hired at all of these different stations, but there seems to be a general mentality that feeds off of what kind of Miami is at its core of just being sort of, you know, full of personality, but welcoming in its own way. We're a way. social um, city. We're yes, definitely a social city. <laughs> social city and, 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 and for TV sure. kind of works that way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so, all right, so let's go back actually to the, the very beginning for a second, because I was looking up the two cities that, that you started in before you ended up getting to come here, Missoula, Montana and Battle Creek, Michigan. Yeah. Okay. These two stops, what did that teach you early on in your career that helped you come back to this market? And I also really want to hear just some of the most on-brand moments of working at a small local news station in the late 90s. I mean, everybody always said you got to start small, but I'm like, that small? I'm in Missoula, Montana? <laughs> like, like Montana right. to me was like telling a Cuban parent that you're moving to Montana, right? First of all, the only Montana my dad ever heard of was Tony Montana and Scarface. So he had no idea what Montana was. Like, he, he <laughs> like he's like, Montana, what is that? Like, you know, and he's like, he, he didn't, my dad, God bless him, you know, he had no idea. What, where right. Montana was and what it was. So, and he said, who goes to Montana and ever to start? And I said, dad, me, you know, I mean, that's sort of, that's the place that hired me. So I got to Missoula at, you know, 21 straight out of UM talk about a culture shock. I had never seen, I'd never seen that type of, you know, town, like with mountains everywhere. I felt claustrophobic. My first week there, you, know, you look around, it's all mountains everywhere. You're literally, 
surrounded by mountains, right? And then <laughs> the thing about Montana was back, you're talking 1997, the internet was in its very infant stages as far as like, you couldn't just search. Now you search Missoula, Montana, and you got all the resources in the world, pictures, images, and stories, and art articles, and history. That didn't exist in 1997. All I, I'll tell you a quick story. What I saw, I went to the UM computer lab thinking, am I going to take this job? And I looked up Missoula, like in the, the search engine back then. And the only thing that came up was a picture of a mountain, the side of a mountain with an M on it. That's it. That's the only image I ever got on Montana. I'm like, why is there an M on the side of a mountain? So when I got to Montana, to Missoula, my, my roommate, who I roomed with for the year and a half, was the weather guy. And we're driving. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, I'm nervous. I'm like, oh, man, I'm actually doing this. And I look and I look to this and I'm like, oh, man, look, it's the mountain with the M on it. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. So I said, what is that all about? Like, what is this story? So it turns out that in Western Montana, in every town, there is every town has its first initial on the side of a mountain. So like, there's a town called Frenchtown, Montana, just outside of Missoula. When you pass by, there's an F on the mountain. And early oh in Montana, there's goodness. an A on the side of the mountain. So I, I'm like, oh, okay. So that's like the first lesson that I got in Missoula. The culture terrible. shock, the culture shock had to be just out of control going from being down here or even growing up in New Jersey. Like that's not exactly, it, it might be uh, a little more elevation and, and, you know, hills and things like that than we get down here in Florida, but man, nothing like what Montana could have been like. And I'm, I'm, I'm glad you were able to kind of take those stops and then get yourself back down here, but We'll jump into the sports stuff now because I know, you know, everybody's probably waiting for it. Um, we'll start with the Miami Heat. Obviously, they're coming off of a, a loss last night, but were number one in the most recent NBA power rankings, ironically, before that loss. Uh, as of right now, as we're recording this, we do not know the status of Jimmy Butler, who turned his ankle last night. So still sort of up in the air as of this recording, but it was a weird game, foul trouble early for the Heat bigs. We saw a lineup where Udonis Haslam, Caleb Martin, and Gabe Vincent were all on the floor at Don't one time. Don't forget Yurtsevin, Oh, and, and yeah, and Yurtsevin. You know, they had a lead. They blew it. They almost had a chance in overtime despite missing what felt like 75 free throws. I mean, it was, it was crazy and ultimately ends in a loss. But I do want to know, what's your initial reaction to that game? And did it change your perception at all of how good this team is and has looked to start this year? It hasn't, and it didn't, because, you know, number one is not having Jimmy in key moments from the second huge. quarter on is huge. And I think, if anything, it reinforced what we know is that this team is really good. And when this mm -hmm. team is healthy and at, at its best, I, there are a few to me in the NBA that are better and honestly, I would guess that this team at its full strength and playing well as a top five team in the league. I really believe that. And it's not just being a homer or heat fan or working on the broadcast. I think we've seen what this team can be. But I think the flip side to that, and we saw it in that game against the Lakers, is when they're not particularly healthy, when there are some injury issues, depth is not an issue. They have a lot of guys, but it's st they start to bog down in certain areas and struggle. This team running on mm. all cylinders is tough. But on a night where Jimmy wasn't there, you know, Tyler got it going. Bam got it cooking in the second half. You know, Kyle still isn't the Kyle yet production-wise. Facilitating-wise, yes, scoring-wise. And look, we all know the storyline of Duncan Robinson now. Heat fans have been really tough on Duncan. And that's the question you probably yeah. get the most. I know I get the most. I'm sure talk radio gets the most locally when talking about the Heat. Like, what is wrong with Duncan? And Eric Spolster said it after the game. I mean, Duncan's Duncan. We tell him to keep shooting and he is going to get out of this. And I know that Heat fans may be like, oh, that's not true. No, it is. The body of work over the last couple of years and the consistency he's shown, this is really just a slump. Part of it may be mm -hmm. mental, 
but it is just a slump. So when you put it together, when they have Jimmy healthy, when they have Kyle going, when they have Duncan going, when we see the depth and Tyler, what he's becoming, you know, since your interview, he's just a blown up. You know, <laughs> <laughs> a different yeah, sure. Same conversation. Sure. <laughs> so yeah. no, but when you see this team at its whole, I don't think one loss in overtime where things, so right. many things didn't go their way can make or break you how you feel about this team. I have to com- agree with you completely, and I think that there's obviously, as always happens on social media, especially when games are nationally televised on top of the local broadcast and you have everyone on NBA Twitter sort of contributing to the conversation, there's going to be overreactions. But, you know, the deal with Duncan, look, like you said, he's one of the greatest shooters in the world over the last few years with a large sample size. And this slump almost reminds me in baseball. We see this a lot where if a guy starts off in April with just a horrible month, we'll write him off for a whole season and he'll end up having a full season that was exactly the same where if in June or July you go through a stretch where you go one for 25 with 15 strikeouts, nobody really cares. Yeah, it's a Duncan, long season. That's the little mm-hmm. dip, right? And Exactly. And so Duncan sort of starting with the dip. He'll come yeah. back. He's He went through stretches like this last year. He even went through stretches like this during that bubble season prior to specifically the stretch in the bubble. This yeah. is going to happen, and he'll be back and forth. And I think, you know, people aren't talking about also the fact that this team has been missing Max Struess, who's another guy who can do some of those More things yeah. when Duncan is off to where, yes, Duncan keeps shooting the ball, but also there's another guy who can come in and, and replicate some of those things. Mm-hmm. Um When we talk about the good things with the Heat, obviously we've seen certain guys take steps. You talked about Tyler Hero, who's played so well this season. What has you most optimistic about what you've seen from them so far? I think that they can play defense at that level is known, right? Like that's kind of the thing. The thing that makes me more optimistic though, is that they can play offense at the level we've seen, you know, and that's Mm. what has been the Achilles heel for the heat. The last few seasons is that even when they're playing good defense, which is kind of the standard for the heat, you know, the identity they talk about, there've been times where this offense just hasn't been good. You know, and it's almost been unwatchable where the ball sticks, there's no movement and the shot clock, you know, chucking shots up and rushing things at the end. You don't see that with this team. And a big reason why is Kyle Lowry. And when Kyle is at his best and facilitating, which we've already seen so much uh, early in the season, this team moves. It spaces well. You know, people talk about pace. The funny thing is pace-wise, they're not really near the top of the league, but it is a comfort with the way that they play at the pace they play. And I think that's really what the key is to this team. That You rarely watch this Heat team early in the season and say to yourself, man, they're hard to watch. They look like they're confused. There are moments, and usually it's when Kyle hasn't been on the floor and they're still finding their way because realistically they don't have a true backup point guard that gets big minutes. But we've seen Bam, Jimmy, Tyler all facilitate the offense go through them. So I think what keeps me optimistic is that this is an offense that can go out and score 120, 125 in regulation, 130. What they have 129 a week or two ago in Memphis. That's something we have not seen consistently with this team the last couple of seasons. And that's a big jump when at the same time you're still playing elite defense. This offense and its ability just through Kyle to be able to push just occasionally has Mm -hmm. been so beneficial for those moments where last year when the offense was going through lulls, and we've seen it in moments where Mm -hmm. Jimmy decides to take over and and says, all right, I'm going to try to get to the line, and I'm just going to slow this game down, and I'm going to you know kind of grunge it up a bit, where now instead of it needing to be Jimmy asserting all of that as I'm going to get to the line all the time, 
there are those occasional outlet passes. The one we saw the other night to Caleb Martin was unbelievable. Like, it's just been so beneficial for this team. But now they play on the second night of a back-to-back in L.A. at the Staples Center again, and they're playing against a Clippers team that's won five in a row. Now, their gauntlet hasn't exactly been crazy. It's the Thunder, a couple games against the Timberwolves, the Hornets, and I believe the last game was against the Blazers. But... What do you expect from the Heat in tonight's game on the second night of back-to-back? Do you think they can compete in this one and, and be able to come out with a victory, or will the Clippers be a little too much? I do, and that's I think that's where the change has been for me. Like This is a game where in the past, in the last few seasons, I would probably sit there, and I'm being honest with you, I would say, like I'm, I'm, I don't think they're going to win this game. Like This is just a back-to-back, and 24 hours later, to have to rebound we, we just, an overtime game, and the you, know, you go a lot is against them, with Jimmy mm-hmm. potentially not playing. But I was talking to Ruth Riley Hunter last night, who does such a great job with us, you know, on, on her analysis on Bally's and on radio as well. Mm-hmm. And Ruth was like, you know, this team is just different because I said the same thing to her. I'm like, what do you think, Ruth? Are you feeling good about tomorrow or are we going to have a long night? And she said, no, <laughs> right. I, this team is just built in a way that there are enough guys and veteran leadership. And there's, like I said, enough offense. We certainly know the defense is there that they can muster up the energy and the effort to win tonight. Mm-hmm. You know, again, as we tape. They've got the Clippers tonight, and they're a team that I feel the Heat can handle. I do. I, I, even if Jimmy were out, we saw it last night, Tyler can get hot. It's going to take likely Duncan or, or Kyle Lowry to have a 20-point type of game. Like, you need their production. We saw what Bam did in the third quarter, man. He just went out and he grabbed that game with two hands and said, I'm taking this over, and he did as a facilitator. As a, I mean, defensively, six steals the scoring as well. So yeah, to answer your question, it's different to me. I, I'm not going to go out and say on the limb and say, okay, they're definitely winning in against the Clippers, but I feel good going in that they can win and that they believe they will win. This is a much different team than one we've seen the last few seasons. Yeah, the mentality is one where that next man up mentality that they always sort of talk about seems to actually be coming to fruition with this group where there is that fight that's, you know, they've mentioned it, the kennel, the dog mentality, the whole thing where all these guys really want to participate and really want to be a part of this. So even if Jimmy is out, you know, different guys feel filling different roles and you got to imagine someone like Duncan wants to to rebound, have short term memory and be able to come out and have a big night tonight, kind of shut everybody up on on any of those conversations. You are listening to Miami Miked Up presented by Cold Blue Vodka. Let me talk about this bottle for a second. This is something you don't see every day. For those of you listening, it is an ice sculpture design that honestly looks like a piece of art. It really stands out on the shelf, so it'll be hard to miss when you head over and pick up your bottle at your nearest Total Wine or Sam's Club locations. And this ice sculpture design on the outside is just as smooth as the great taste on the inside. You guys need to try Cold Blue because it is premium quality, one of the only liquors that doesn't give me a hangover the next day. Follow Cold Blue Vodka on Twitter and Instagram at Cold Blue Vodka. That's C-O-L-B-L-E-U-V-O-D-K-A for South Florida events and new recipes. Before we get to uh, a couple of last fun things outside of work and a couple of games here. Uh, I'm going to force you to, to to put on a different hat here, put on your Dolphins hat so that we can preview tonight's game oh, against the Baltimore Ravens a little bit here. Uh, I want to start more than anything with actually your thoughts on the quarterback situation and everything that's gone down this season, the way the Tua has been handled, Tua missing tonight's game again with, with this injury here to his hand. Um, what are your thoughts on the way that the Dolphins have handled Tua so far this season as they've gotten off to a, a two and seven start? 
Well, you know, you say handled it to me, it's mishandled. Like, you know, and, and I, this is a new opinion for me. I thought last year they mishandled the situation with Ryan Fitzpatrick in mm-hmm. playing Fitzpatrick in certain cases, hooking to a mid game. To me, when you make the commitment of a young quarterback to a young quarterback, right, especially a top five pick to, it wasn't a third round pick that you hope to develop or second round pick. He was a top five pick. You are saying at that moment, this is our quarterback of the future. And not that you have to baby that player, but you look around the league, this is not nothing new. You let that quarterback take his lumps. You know, let that quarterback deal with the ups and downs because, I mean, you you know I'm a Giants fan, and Eli Manning was the number one overall pick, and they made all those deals to get him and, you know, the Chargers and stuff. But when Eli took over the job and they put him in, and I remember it was midseason for Kurt Warner, I mean, that was it. Eli started, I think, 250 straight games, you know. And mm-hmm. A lot of that has to do with being a durable guy. And obviously, look, Tua's injury situations, that's a different conversation. But to me, you give your guy a shot. And I think, too, aside from maybe any physical issues he's had or issues in adapting to the NFL game, the mental side of it between that and the Watson rumors that lingered for literally seven, eight months that seemed to never go away, that's a lot for a young quarterback to take. And there's some people that roll their eyes and then say, oh, he's a pro. He's got to deal with it. He's also a human being. I mean, he's also a young guy who who has to deal with it. I don't think they handled the mental side of it yet. Now, the physical side, he's got a lot to show still. He's got to prove he can still make the big throws. He's got to prove that he can take the hits and not get injured. He's got to prove that he can be upright and lead your team to wins, not just be part of wins. And, uh, you know, it's going to take availability to do that. But to your question on how the Dolphins have handled him, I don't think they've handled it well at all during his first year and a half in the league. It's been so frustrating to see what is seemingly the lack of support from the first guy that there's been this type of investment in since Tannehill. You, you watch Tannehill get just year after year after year of, of sort of public and vocal support and actually trying to change, you know, the skill position players around him, the offensive linemen, all these chances over and over again. And for Tua, a guy who was like a media darling, was an NFL draft darling, everything that he was. That's what it was all about. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it literally was a slogan. You know, since suck for luck, we haven't had anything quite like tank for Tua. And so, you know, it's like... It's 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 always been mind-boggling to me that there hasn't been more support there for him. Um, and it, you know, when we talk about those adjustments in the mental side of things, I think everybody seems to forget, just like Tyler Hero going through a bit of a slump in his short turnaround and everything that happened with the bubble, these guys who came into these leagues with expectations in the middle of their leagues being messed up schedule-wise due to the pandemic— uh, I think we cannot be evaluating any of these players and their early growth in their careers the same way that we have with others. I've been having this conversation recently with people about J.J. Blade with with the Marlins in the minor leagues. Like the guy had to miss an entire minor league season at the beginning oh, of his yeah. development, right? And so all of these guys in their development tracks are going to be different. Some guys come in and thrive right away. It didn't affect Justin Herbert the same way, sure. But other guys are always going to need different types of systems or skill position players to thrive. And it just feels frustrating that there hasn't been that level of support seemingly around Tua. And so the question then becomes, obviously, they're 2-7, and seven, probably going to be 2-8 and eight after tonight, if we can all just make some assumptions here with the MVP on the other side and Lamar Jackson. So Brian Flores and Chris Greer, theoretically both are on the hot seat. Can I ask you who is on the hotter seat at the moment between the two in, in your mind? 
Oh, I think it's obviously Brian Flores because I think uh, Chris Greer has built up a reputation here within the organization being here a life from he's been here, what, 20 right. years, whatever time he's been with the Dolphins organization. He has a way with Stephen Ross where I think Stephen Ross really leans on Chris Greer. And there are people in that organization that are leaned on more that have been here a long time, as opposed to Flo, who's a new guy. You know, Flo is the guy that got right. handpicked and, you know, hey, you're going to be the guy who bring that mentality from New England, the defensive toughness. And I like Brian Flores a lot. I'm just going to be honest. I do. And I thought he's, I, I think for the most part, he's done a good job. There are times where he's done questionable jobs with game management, with the way he certainly, again, handled the situation, which has to do a lot as an organization, not just Brian Flores. But I think in the end, it's so much easier to just fire the coach, you know, firing the GM, changing that for Stephen Ross at 81 years old and having trusted uh, Chris Greer for the years he's been here, years that Stephen Ross has been the owner, Chris Greer has been right there, promoted him within that time to then sit right. back now and say, fire everyone and start over. I know a lot of Dolphin fans want that. And you know what? That might be the best thing if they really just spiral down the rest it's of the Totally season. clean, right. But... But I think to answer your question, Brian Flores is going to end up being the, the fall guy in this situation to me. I think he's the guy who's going to say like, okay, fire the coach to start from scratch and see what we could do with the young players and the assets we have. Yeah, and I understand, obviously, and, 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 and tend to agree that that's probably the reality of it. Whether or not that should be the case is, I guess, a separate conversation that we could have over who, who's really to blame for some of these downfalls here and, and what the roster now looks like. But as the Dolphins go into tonight's game again, 2-7, and seven, facing the Ravens, Thursday night football. If the Dolphins are going to win tonight's game, what will have to happen? So what did the, it, say we're, we were talking in three and uh, 10 hours from now and the Dolphins have won this football game. Why did it happen? Somehow they're going to have to make Lamar Jackson one-dimensional. And I think defensively, and that's the only reason I think that maybe they could stick around because quietly the last few weeks, the Dolphins defense has been much better. Now they've been mm -hmm. prone to give up in some of these close games, one big play uh, that changes the game late. And, you know, we saw it against the Falcons. We saw it against the Jags. There, there are just moments in a game that, man, they, if they just would have made a stop, they maybe win the game. But overall, they've been getting better. And I think when it comes to Lamar Jackson, so much early in his career was the whole unfair narrative that he's not a pastor. He's not a QB. Well, he's, I mean, he's kind of put that to bed, right? I mean, I, Lamar, yeah. by the way, Lamar, I mentioned Brian Flores. I like, I love Lamar out of the draft. I wanted him for the Giants. I wanted him for the Dolphins. I thought he was going to be a spectacular quarterback because he offered so much passing and running. And, but the problem now with Lamar is he offers so much with passing and running. Like he, he's right. He does so much. So like you have to try to make him one dimensional. If you could just one of the things he does well tonight, you may have a chance. If he goes out and he throws for 280, 300 yards, and rushes for 75 or 100 yards, you're going to lose this game. You just are. If you can keep him where you 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 pressure him in, and, and he and he has one of those days where he only throws for 160 yards, and you kind of fluster him passing wise, and he can run for his 70 or 80, you've got a chance. But if he does both, you have no chance. And we saw it here when he came here a couple of years ago. What do you have? Five touchdowns, whatever. I, I forgot what Lamar had the couple of years. Oh, ago. was wasn't that? It was that a forty-nine to ten get forty-nine nothing, fifty-six to they ten, something crazy like that. that day. Yeah. And if that happens again, you have no chance to beat the Ravens. Yeah, I mean, and and we're with the Dolphins. Uh offense is at the moment with Jacoby Brissett leading the helm let's just say we can also hope that maybe the defense scores a couple of yeah. touchdowns and, and helps them position. out maybe that's a maybe that's a maybe that's a way to uh, make things happen yeah. all right so let's I've got a couple of things left for you before we wrap up and thank you for taking so much time on this conversation I know you're a big movie guy and I know specifically you're a big mafia movie guy so I'm going to ask you to do the thing that you probably don't want to do which is rank in order one two and three 
The Godfather, Goodfellas, and Scarface. Which is the best well, in order, those three? I, I probably, in order of viewing, I would say mm, Scarface, okay. Goodfellas, and The Godfather. Because The Godfather okay. is a commitment. Like, you know, right. granted, that is a, <laughs> when you sit down to watch The Godfather, it is a commitment. And as a yes. film, I think we all know The Godfather is the standard because it's just, it's the one. But right. for my enjoyment's sake, I can always throw on Goodfellas or Scarface at any point oh, to watch it. Like, best. Godfather, I have to be in that mood and I have to really commit to it. Not so dedicating not a whole day. Yes, it's an incredible movie. But I would say, believe it or not, as much as I love Scarface and I've seen it more than Goodfellas, Goodfellas is just amazing. And it oh, holds, like best. something about Goodfellas still to this day you watch it and it doesn't feel like a movie that's 30 years old or whatever. No, you're right. There's something about it that that hooks you still. Yeah that, yeah, that that still hooks you into the story, like the way that you when you're listening to it, just like the narrations of everything. It it is it's one of those movies that could still hook you in. And you're They're right, it doesn't too. it doesn't Oh my gosh. Movie. What it is with Godfather, it's like committing to a day where you're gonna watch Godfather is like making plans with somebody to go to the beach where committing to watch Goodfellas, it's like making plans to grab lunch. Like it's just it's it's a little less know. commitment. Still yeah. something, you know, I'm still still taking some time, but it's not quite the same thing as this full day. All right. And then the last question for you. I've got a, a, a game that I'd like to play here. It's layup or airball. Pretty self-explanatory. Okay. If it's something you enjoy or would encourage, it's a layup. If it's not, it's an airball. So okay. first, going to the movies alone, layup or airball? Oh, it's a layup. It used to make fun of me uh, because because of my schedule, working nights, I kind of have to – how many people really could go through during the day? Exactly. So I would do that, and people are like, are you a weirdo or a creeper sitting in a movie by yourself? I'm like, no, I actually like it. It's nice piece. I love it. Exactly. Go to the movies at you know 2.45 in the afternoon, have a nice little popcorn. It's, it's, it's like great. It. All right. Getting to the airport less than 30 minutes before boarding. Oh, that's, that's, a, that's less than – Less than so, so waiting the longest time you can to get oh, to the no. airport. Oh, no, 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 that, that's an air ball. That's an air ball. Yes. I'm, I'm, I, I, and my, yeah, my spouse makes fun of me all the time. I'm like, the I'm still the old school standard two hours before, you know, like at mm-hmm. now, if the standard is 90 minutes before, right? And some people push that hour, but I'm the old school two hours. I want to get there, I want to make sure everything's good with the baggage. I want to go, I want to get a coffee or a snack. If it's in a morning flight, I want to check my Twitter, see what's going on. And then go on with my flight date. I don't want any stress before I get in that in that plane for two, three, four, five, whatever hours it is. In everything else in my life, I am running late to the last possible second, backing it up against a wall. But with airports, 100%, I'm there at the very least an hour and a half, probably closer to two hours early. Breakfast for dinner, layup or airball? Layup. I do it often. Layup. I do mm. it often. I love. It's funny. I'm trying to get my young, my youngest and my oldest both are big breakfast fans, you know. And I and I always tell them, I'm like, guys, eggs and toast and pancakes. Like I can eat that at any time. The, the other best. day after a heat game, uh, I was like, I want to go somewhere. There's a Denny's not far from where I live. And I told my spouse, I said, hey, let's go. Let's go to Denny's. Let's meet. She was working till late. I said, we didn't have the kids that night. I said, let's yeah. go. We went to Denny's. And when I got there, I was gonna get a club. And then I look around. I'm like, it's like one in the morning. I'm like pancakes sound good right yes now, you know? yes 100 percent. that's a vibe yeah i'm a i'm a breakfast at any time person as well i'm glad we're, we're on the same page here on on these to start okay teen television dramas so like like riverdale or things like that i'm assuming because you have daughters that that you might be hooked into some of these Are, for you layup or airball airball 
terrible. And I, I think it's, I don't connect with the newer ones. Like when I was a kid and younger, and I said kid, teenager, I love 90210. And okay. I love those shows. I was like into Melrose Place. Like those yeah. shows I was totally into. But the new ones, like my kids have watched Riverdale and I try to watch it when it's on and those kind of dramas. And I just don't get into it. I just, it's, I don't know if it's bad or good, but I just don't like, I'm like, all right, I can't. Like I, the only shows I get into like Cobra Kai, which I have my all Valley shirt on Cobra Kai and like Stranger Things. Like I like those, those yeah. shows that are more, you know, that has the teen youth angle to it, but the drama love story ones of these days, not, not a big fan. Yeah. I mean, same for me. I, so my fiance watches uh, or watched Riverdale at one point. I don't know if she's even, she might be embarrassed that I'm putting that out there, but she watched Riverdale at one point, but I was huge. Like when I was a kid, I was huge into like the OC. I loved the OC. That was the one for, for my generation. Like I, I was obsessed with it. So I'm not even going to pretend, I'm not even going to pretend like I wasn't into it, but now I can't really connect to any of those. Although I feel like I'd like to. And then the last one for you here, liking Tampa Bay, Tom Brady. You know, a layup. I, yeah. I actually do. I, I, I know it's crazy, but I, he has changed. Like he has changed. He's still a little robotic. He's still a little creepy robotic at times because he's so perfect. <laughs> For sure. Sometimes perfection like that is kind of like, man, it's just, it almost looks like you were made somewhere like in a factory. Yep. It's just too perfect. You win everything. You're good looking. You have beautiful kids and a beautiful wife. I'm like, well, this isn't fair, you know, but there's something charming and sweet about his personality. Maybe it's because he left Bill Belichick and that whole evil feel to the Patriots is gone. And then Bruce Arians kind of a cool guy. He looks the kind of guy I'd want to have a beer. Yeah. So that vibe there, you know, I think he, I actually, I don't root against them except when they play the giants in a couple of weeks on Monday night. But other than that, no. Yeah. I'm not, you know, I'm not a huge Tom Brady fan necessarily uh, off the field, but I will say this Tampa Bay vibe that we've gotten from this guy showing up to the the Super Bowl party with the glasses and basically hammered out of his mind I mean it's hilarious like this new and free Tom Brady has been it's been really fun to watch like it's been it's been fun all right well well thank you so much for taking the time before before you go if there is anything that you would like to plug obviously everyone should be watching your work here on Bally Sports and over at WPLG but if there's anything specific you'd like to plug before we wrap up just always, uh, if you watch Channel 10, watch Bally. But also, if you find me on Twitter, at Will Manso, I always love chatting and, and being silly and arguing and uh, getting in with Heat Twitter and everybody else in Dolphins Twitter. And it, it's what keeps our jobs fun, right? That connection that oh, we yeah. have. To be able to chat with the viewer and the fan of those teams that you're talking about is, you know, always hit me up. I'm, I'm always down for conversation. Well, I definitely follow Will. You could do that at Will Manso. You could follow me at Jeremy Taché. And be sure to subscribe, rate, and review to this podcast, Miami Miked Up, only here on Bally Sports Florida. Until next week, have a good one, South Florida sports fans. Thank you for listening to Bally Sports Florida's Miami Miked Up with me, Jeremy Taché. And a special thank you to our national sponsor in Southeast Toyota. Visit your local Toyota dealers or toyota.com today and take advantage of the amazing deals on their full line of vehicles. No matter your destination, Toyota goes with you. Toyota, let's go places.